Hi, I'm Tammy Hicks-Jackson. Welcome to my podcast. I am a Christian pastor in the United Methodist tradition, and this podcast covers a variety of topics. You may find anything from Bible study and devotions to yoga and meditation from a Christian perspective to my thoughts on Christian leadership and the church. Look for the descriptions and the tags for each episode to find what you're interested in. And thanks for taking this journey with me. Let's jump into this episode. Zephaniah is a short little prophetic book that focuses on the day of the Lord. Zephaniah focuses on this topic more than any of the other prophetic books. Amos introduced the idea to us, and we also hear it picked up in Isaiah, Ezekiel, Obadiah, Joel, and Malachi. Now, Zephaniah is prophesying during the reign of Josiah, who ruled from 641 to 609 BC. Since it says the word came to him during the reign of Josiah, he may have been born before that, maybe during the reign of Manasseh. Um, They're also completely ignoring the two-year reign of Ammon in here. Um, Manasseh was a bad king. Josiah is a good king. Um, Josiah enacted some significant reforms around 622 BC. There are a few scholars who believe portions of this book are post-monarchic, meaning after um, they've been carried into Babylonian exile. So they would date to after 586 BC. Um, I, I don't know that that has to be the case. I think it reads pretty cohesively as it is. So uh, Zephaniah is going to take up the topics of the coming day of the Lord in chapter 1, judgment on Israel's enemies in chapter 2. There is judgment for Israel, particularly Judah and Jerusalem, but there's also going to be punishment or conversion of all the nations of the world. And then he's going to conclude with a song of joy at the very end. Zephaniah is called the son of Cushi. Um, Cushi could be a reference to the area of Cush, um, which would be Ethiopian kind of area, which may make him a black Jew, a dark-skinned Jew. Um, Others consider this to be a personal name, and it is possible that it is both, that he was described as being of Cush from that area, and it gradually became a name as well. Um, He includes more ancestors than most of the prophets do. And most of the scholars believe um, Hezekiah was the king before Manasseh, and he too was a good king that ruled from 716 to 687 BC. So by the time Manasseh came along um, and Zephaniah is born and growing up, the royal family had disgraced their calling. Um, So we believe that Zephaniah is trying to tie himself back to a time when the royals used their influence to shepherd God's people, um, to draw them toward God and to righteousness. As he starts out in his first chapter, he says that in light of the atrocities happening, God's pending visitation is being announced. God is coming in response to what's going on. Now, There are those who believe this refers to like widespread destruction of the earth, but that wouldn't be consistent with Jewish thought. Remember, after the flood and Noah, there would be no more resets, no more destroy everything and start over. This likely refers to destruction of the land that has been entrusted to the covenant people. 
Verses 2 through 6 are kind of a reversal of creation. It sounds a lot like the message that is delivered by an unnamed prophet in 2 Kings 21 verses 10 through 15. We also have the name Milcom or um, Malcolm, M-A-L-K-A-M or M-I-L-C-O-M. It occurs in the Masoretic text, which is one of the authoritative sources for our translations, as Milcom in 1 Kings 11.5, 11.33, and 2 Kings 23.13. It also occurs um, as Malcolm in places like 2 Samuel 12.30, 1 Chronicles 22, Amos 1.15, Jeremiah 41, Zephaniah 1.5, and 1 Kings 11.7. Um, Malcolm means our king. So it's very possible that what they're saying here is that they viewed their king as the living embodiment of the god Milcom, that basically their king was possessed by the god Milcom, making him Malcolm or a divine king. On, in verses 7 through 13, the day of the Lord arrives. There's a very curious phrase in verse 9 about all who leap over the threshold. Now, it was a Philistine practice with their those who served the god Dagon, And you have to remember back to 1 Samuel when they have captured the Ark of the Covenant and they've placed it, um, it's in the temple and their god Dagon is in the temple as well. So they've put their um, god in the Jewish temple and they find the statue of their god fallen over. So he falls prostrate before the Ark of the Covenant as though he's worshiping or bowing to it. They stand him back up, and the next day they find he's fallen on the threshold of the door. And so his hands and head have been disconnected from the statue and are laying on the threshold. It's as though he's running away and can't and gets knocked down, overpowered, and beheaded. Um, and so 1 Samuel 5, 5 tells us that that's why the priests of Dagon and adherents to worshiping him never step on the threshold. They would jump over it. Um, so basically what Zephaniah is saying is that you are following the obscure, superstitious religious practices of another religion rather than being obedient to the major practices of your own faith. He also talks about the fish gate, the second quarter, the hills and the mortar. These are all parts of Jerusalem. The fish gate is also mentioned in Nehemiah 3.3. The second quarter or the new quarter of the city is mentioned in 2 Kings 22.14 and 2 Chronicles 34.22. The mortar or maktash, um, which means rock, was the name of a portion of Jerusalem where they hold rice, corn, and grain. Um, so on the rock, they would thresh all this stuff out. Verse 12 talks about complacency on their dregs. Um, now, I looked at this in several different translations. The NIV, the New International Version, says, we will punish those who are complacent, who are like wine left on its dregs. The New American Standard says those who are stagnant in spirit. Um, the King James talks about spent yeast here. Um, the dregs were the sediment or the grounds that are sometimes found 
inside a wine bottle, um, they're not considered valuable parts of the drink. And usually the wine is carefully poured off or decanted away from the dregs. But the dregs happen. It's simply a product, a byproduct of the aging process. Um, it's not a sign that there's something wrong with it. But the the older the wine is, the more aged, the more dregs it would have. So this could be referring to good, old, expensive wine. And a lot of ancient winemakers thought that the dregs added both flavor and texture. It made it a better wine. So what it's talking about is indicating drinking aged, um, valuable, expensive wine lazily. They are relaxed and complacent and unconcerned about what is happening. In verses 14 through 18, it's a terrible day for those who have ignored and disobeyed God. The one who has fought for them, who has been their defender and their warrior, now fights against them because they have become, they're placing themselves as being an enemy of God by um, disobedience. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 are a call to repent. Um, It is possible to stop this from being necessary by getting themselves right with God. Verse 2 has an odd phrase, before a decree is born or before you are driven away. In other words, repent and change your ways before it becomes inevitable, before there's no time left to change the trajectory. He also talks about the humble of the land. Now, this refers to the obedient among them rather than the economically impoverished or the politically weak, although it is entirely possible that those who have remained obedient and faithful to God may have lost their political influence and because of the greed and oppression of the others may find themselves economically impoverished. But humble is actually referring to to obedience and faithfulness. Verses 4 through 15, the view now widens beyond Jerusalem and the nation of Judah. Zephaniah circles around the nation of Judah. The Philistine cities are to the west. Moab and Ammon are to the east. Ethiopia is to the south. And Assyria is to the north. In verse 14, it talks about an owl shall hoot or a voice shall hoot. Uh, It talks about a raven croaking on the threshold. It means that desolation is at the door. Their abandonment has happened and nature is reclaiming what has been civilized and occupied areas. Um, We want to remember that the righteous or the humble are saved. They are hidden or protected on this day, according to verse 3. Moving into chapter 3, Um, they've had an opportunity to learn from their past, to learn from what has happened to other nations. This too is a common thread and a common theme with the prophets. Look around, learn the lessons of history from others and stop having to repeat it. But they have not learned those lessons. Um, They have become like the other nations and they're unrepentant for it, even as God is there calling them to repent. God has hoped so very much that they would learn and heed his warnings. But because they haven't, in verses 8 through 13, judgment comes. Yet even here, Zephaniah um, 
presents it as purification for the obedient. It talks about their speech being changed. They're being purified in heart and in what they say and what they speak. They are the remnant, verse 13. And eventually, after this purification takes place, they experience safety and peacefulness. And we're reminded that pure worship comes from a pure heart. And then we conclude with a song of joy in verses 14 through 20. Zephaniah wraps up his book with a song. God is the king and the warrior of this remnant. Um, There are lots of bride and groom allusions here. In verse 17, it says that God rejoices over us with gladness and renews us with love. These are really allusions to and references to the ecstasy of sexual intimacy. So it is a continuation of that bride and groom allusion here. And then it talks about a festival day. Now, this could refer to some of the Old Testament holidays or holy days, but more than likely it refers to the wedding banquet, the festival atmosphere of a wedding banquet, since we've talked about a bride and groom and their union and joy. So um, the lame are saved. There's healing that takes place and the outcasts are gathered. All are welcome here. Shame is transformed into praise. They are recognized and respected throughout the earth. And so we conclude with this beautiful picture of restoration that happens after this horrible day of the Lord and the purification that must happen. Um, And so we find acceptance, love, blessing, peace, and freedom um, on the other side of the suffering. And that's how Zephaniah concludes his prophetic book.